Welcome everybody, I'm, uh, I'm really, really happy to be here and um, it's always really a privilege to spend time with you guys and um, I can't remember which one of my fathers it was who invited me um, but uh, whoever it was, if it was Abuna, I don't, don't know if it was Abuna Samuel or uh, one of the other fathers but uh, they can testify to you that like they say they say Abuna can you and I, I don't wait to the end of the sentence my answer is yes uh, because I really I really really enjoy being with you guys and it's always really a privilege um, so th th this this whole retreat we're talking about spiritual warfare um, and uh, I think it's really a very um, timely topic I think it's a really uh, and I don't want to say important topic, uh, but like, I think it's, 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 um, I was, I really enjoyed preparing for this retreat because uh, a lot of the time I get asked to speak about um, contemporary topics. I get asked to speak about, uh, you know, what's the church's view about the legalization of marijuana? What's a Christian attitude towards LGBTQ? Like I talk about all of these really like difficult and sensitive topics where you have to be so politically correct and in the end sometimes I ask myself like what is the spiritual benefit of like of talking about this whole like this is what they asked me so so I just do what I'm told like I'm just be obedient but this I really feel that there's actually like a lot of spiritual benefit for me in preparing this so actually I'm very very grateful to you all because you gave me the opportunity to benefit uh, to benefit spiritually I want to just want to start with I just want to start with uh, I just want to start with an intro video, um, and so uh, let's see if this will work. Abram treated his home and Ur to become the father of a nation. Ruth treated her homeland to become the great grandmother to a king. Moses and David traded their sheep to become leaders of Israel. Peter and Andrew traded their nets to become fishers of men. Mary traded her housework to sit at the feet of Christ. Saul traded his prestige to become Paul, a leader of the church. St. Augustine traded a life of debauchery to author over 100 works promoting the gospel of Christ. Albert Schweitzer traded a successful career to train as a doctor and establish a hospital in Africa. Rachel Saint traded her grief to dwell among the natives who had killed her brother. Corey Tim Boom traded anger and resentment to forgive a brutal Nazi guard who put his faith in Christ. John and Betty Stam traded their lives to testify of Christ in communist China. Cameron traded the money he spent on Starbucks for 40 days to raise money for water wells in Uganda. Dale traded extra hours of work climbing the corporate ladder to mentor fatherless boys in his neighborhood through basketball. Sarah traded her teaching career in Dallas to teach Muslim children in Morocco. Heather traded comfort and routine to be a foster parent to children in need. They put their faith in action, being intentional with their time, money, and passions so that they can bring the love of Christ to the world. What are you willing to trade? So the question there is, what are you willing to trade? What are you and I willing to trade? And this question goes in both directions. It goes in the direction of what are you willing to trade to make a difference for the kingdom, but it also goes in the direction of what are you willing to trade the kingdom of heaven for? What are you willing to trade Jesus for? When Jesus uh, encounters the young rich ruler and he tells him, what must I do to be perfect and to enter the kingdom of heaven? And he tells him, you have to trade all, you have to sell all, come and follow me. He's not ready to make that trade. So many other people have missed the call. And the, the, you know, this is kind of like this leads this leads right into like our, our 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 first main point, which is the biggest issue, the problem that we have, is that we're seeking counterfeits. We feel that oftentimes we feel that our life is too precious to dot dot dot. Our time is too precious to dot dot dot. 
our uh, uh, resources are too precious to dot 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 our friendships are too precious to dot 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 this relationship means too much to me to dot 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 let me get very a lot more specific with you okay it, whenever you want to understand something and you, you want to understand it right you're always going to end up in the garden like you're always going to end up back in the garden of eden listen to what the serpent says to eve the, the serpent comes to eve in, in genesis 3 verse 5 and 6 and he says for god knows that in the day of that you will eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like god knowing good and evil so the serpent comes to eve and he says to her do you want to be like god if you eat from this tree you will be like god and you will know the difference between good and evil the serpent didn't say something which was a hundred percent wrong and this is one of the one of the things we need to learn about spiritual life okay like one of the things is to know our enemy and one of the things our enemy does okay like like trademark move you know of the devil right it's his opening like sales pitch is to say tell you something which is true and no one can deny it okay like no one can deny something that's true that nobody can deny it. my father's told me the first talk starts at nine i arrived in the blue mountain resort at like 9 20 and started looking for where is the conference going to happen right so satan says the demons say abuna is late like you can't be denied like there's nine is not 9 20 to start looking for the conference room right you, you can't you can't deny it like this is it this or that right but then they add because the first thing is true we believe that and so we add a we listen to a whole bunch of lies that come after they manage to win our credibility they manage to to win us believing them believing the little voice you don't know where the little voice is coming from it says the first thing and the first thing is true so you, so you believe it so then it's the second thing must be true and the third thing and then all these lies come afterwards right um a while ago i was really trying to to lose weight you know like i realized gosh i could put on so much weight since marriage and uh it's really time that you know it's really time to rein in the uh, rein in the and, and tomorrow we're going to be talking about lust and gluttony and uh, that was the hardest part of this conference for me to prepare right um and uh have a day like i'm losing weight i'm losing i'm doing good i'm doing good and then i'll have a day where you know i get on the scale uh, i gained weight right so the, the you know try to try the scale again like maybe 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 the, maybe this maybe the scale is lying right so jump on the scale again uh still uh i get, keep getting the same reading well i guess i guess i actually gained weight so i gained weight so i'm a failure so i this so i that no like the first thing is true but all the stuff that comes afterwards is not necessarily is not necessarily true what the serpent says to eve he says to her if you eat from the tree you you will know the difference between good and evil and you can be like god now i'll ask you a question when god created adam and eve he said let us create man in our image and in our image and so tell me something eve when god created you were you already like god yes so what the serpent is really offering eve is a counterfeit it's a counterfeit you all know what a counterfeit is like counterfeit money fake money right you, you know you want to buy something you don't have enough money you go home right you google image a 20 dollar bill and you print a few of them that's counterfeit it's not the real thing it looks like it and it might it might pass once or twice as it but eventually gets found out and that's what the devil is offering us let me ask you a question when you and i go home okay when you and i curfew i heard is 1 a.m i mean wow your servants are amazing i've never been to a conference where the curfew was 1 a.m this is fantastic when i go and i get to my room at one in the morning okay and the little voice in, is going to say in my heart top just stand and pray for five minutes before you go to bed oh, I'm liturgy is at 7 30 in the morning i can't so, huh 
Six? Why? طب why is there a curfew? Why don't we just keep going? Yalla, we'll start midnight praises at one. Right, midnight prayer, and by the time we finish that, it'll be about 1.45. Then we could do a, like a longer version of midnight praises. We'll be done by about a quarter to four. And, huh? What happens? We cannot document. Six? The number that comes after five, Abuna? Please tell me the second talk is after lunch. <laughs> I love you guys. When I go to my room at one o'clock in the morning, on the mountain, خلاص, that's fine. That's great. That, then I buy it. Yeah. When I go to my room at one o'clock in the morning, when I come home from the service, you know, every night at whatever hour of night I come home, little voice says to me, you know, you should really stand and pray. And what is what? What do I say? What does the other little voice say? Oh, I'm tired. Right? And I say, oh God, I gotta sleep. And I look at my watch and it's one o'clock in the morning and I have to be up at 5.30 and I'm only getting four and a half hours of sleep as it stands. And so like, dude, like God, you, me, you know, uh-huh, thanks, good night. Right? And I know like, I know that if I pray, you know, I'm supposed to, right? But God, I can't. Why? Because I'm tired, right? So I'm tired. So what do I need? I'm tired. What do I need? Really? Okay, let me, I'm tired, so I need sleep, right? That's what you're saying, okay? Now, let me give you two scenarios, okay? I give you multiple choice question. Your options are only A, B, A, or B. There's no C, there's no none of the above, no, there's no all of the above. You only have two options, okay? One option is that you can sleep for as long as you want. Nine hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, 20 hours. You can sleep for 40 hours, okay? Without waking up a single time. But when you wake up, you'll be just as tired or more tired than when you went to bed. That's option A. Option B is you're just going to blink and you'll be completely refreshed, 100% rested, ready to go, full of energy, full of life, you know, ready to live it up. Suppose this is a choice you're going to make for every night for the rest of your life. What would you prefer? To sleep and never feel rested? Or to be able to be rested with almost no sleep. Everybody wants B. So what is it we're actually after? Sleep or rest? Rest. Where does rest come from? From sleep? That's what, that's what, the, that's what the serpent is telling you. The serpent is telling you, dude, you're really tired and it's one o'clock in the morning. You know, God, he's eternal. He's not going anywhere. He'll be here in the morning, right? All of those statements are true. None of those are lies. They're all true. It is one in the morning. There's no contesting it. You are really tired. There's no contesting that. God is eternal. He's going to be here in the morning. That's also true. So conclusion is, dude, you got to sleep. Conclusion is, dude, you need rest. Where does rest come from? Anybody know a Bible verse about rest? Anybody? Say that again. And I will give you. So who gives rest? My, uh, my down pillow or Jesus? Jesus gives rest. Who gives us rest? Jesus gives us rest. Not that's another counterfeit. Okay, here's another counterfeit. I come from a really hard day of service and I'm, you know, accompanying people in all of their difficulties of life and this and that. And I've had, and everybody's asleep because I come home late and I have little daughters and my wife's taking care of them all day. She's tired, she goes to bed. I come home, I'm alone, it's dark, it's night, there's nobody around, I'm a bit lonely, I'm too wired to sleep. What do I do? I go to the fridge there you go i'm glad i'm not the only one right <laughs> you've been studying that's my context your context you've been studying you've been at the library you've been working so hard you were doing work on a group project whatever you come home you're driving home 
right? And uh, you're thinking to yourself, and you're thinking about this, and you're thinking about that, and some com complex relationships in the group, and da 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 da, and this and that, and you're thinking about all these things, and you're kind of wired. What do you do? You swing through the drive-through, right? What are we looking for? We're looking for comfort. Where did we go to? We went to our bellies, right? We went, we went, went looking for comfort food when really what we needed was comfort from God. Where does comfort come from? The Word of God. Comfort comes from intimacy with God. And we're going to talk about that when we talk, when we talk about lust. So the problem... The problem, let's just start with the problem. The problem is that the demons are selling us counterfeits. They're selling us lookalikes. It looks like, but it isn't. And because the first part is true, we believe what follows and we get tripped up, right? Here's another one. Okay, this one you might not, you might not get immediately. What is it that we're actually looking for when we fall into the temptation of lust? What we're actually looking for is intimacy. What we're actually looking for is intimacy. And I'm going to talk all about that when we talk when we when we get to the to the topic about lust and gluttony. So Jesus makes it very simple and very clear for us. Jesus says to us, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way which leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, there are few who find it. You see, I don't, I don't want when I come home late at night and I'm tired and this and that, I don't want to like, I'm go towards the fridge and instead I go and I open my Bible. I just want to go to the fridge. The easy thing is to go to the fridge. There will always be an easy answer. So like a really good trick in, spirit, like in, in spiritual life is to ask yourself, what is the easy answer? And then don't do it. Because the easy answer is always obvious. It's always like smack in your face, right? So ask yourself, what is the easy answer? And then don't do it. And it's really funny. Like Jesus says that there's like a narrow way and there's a broad, the narrow way which leads to, to the kingdom and a broad way which leads to destruction. But you know what our second problem is? Our second problem, myself included, is that we think that Jesus forgot to tell us something. Like there's the narrow way and there's the broad way, but isn't there like a medium way? Like isn't there like a, like a kind of like, it's not so, so narrow, but it's kind of like it's broad enough. Like, and it's, but it's not like, like, like Abuna, like I'm not talking, I'm not going to go like, I'm not going to go become a pimp, you know? But like, you know, like, does it have to be fasting and praying and matanya? Does it have to be that all day long, all the time, you know? And so, like, we have this, we have this delusion, okay? We have this delusion, a delusion is a, a, a false belief. In a, in a false reality that doesn't exist, that there's actually a middle way that Jesus just never told us about. Like, I don't know why Jesus just doesn't tell us about the good stuff, you know, and he just keeps it to himself. Well, he didn't tell us about it because newsflash, it doesn't exist. There is no, there is nothing other than the narrow way that leads to the kingdom. But we think that there's this middle way, like where I can kind of do like a little bit of this, but I can do a little bit of that. And, I, and it's still going to lead me to the kingdom, but just Jesus never told us about it. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. We're trying to have the cake and eat it too. We're trying to see what we can get away with. We're trying to see like, like a lot of the time, people, there's a very, very common question in the question answer period. There's a lot of questions that begin with, Father John, is it wrong to dot, 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 question mark? I'm going to tell you something. When we're, doing, when we're asking that question, the premise behind that question is, can I still do this and this and this and be pleasing to God? Like, what's behind that question? Behind that question is, Father John, Buna Samuel, I want to do this and this and this. That would be pleasing to me. Can I do that and still be pleasing to God? You see, we missed the point. Because 
Jesus tells us, if you want to be my disciple, and this is, the, this is the core essence of spiritual life. If you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. So, what we find here is that Jesus is telling us, if you want to follow me, what you need to do is go in the opposite direction of your pleasures. Like, this gives me pleasure, so then I should do this. So you see, it's the exact opposite of, is it wrong to dot, dot, dot. When I'm saying, is it wrong to dot, 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 I'm saying, I want to, can I, is it okay if I do this? Am I still a good Christian? Am I still pleasing to God? Am I, I'm trying to have the cake and eat it too. I haven't said no to my pleasures, no to my ways, no to my ideas, no to my thoughts, and Jesus, I'm just going to follow you. I'm still trying to say, if I follow Jesus, if I give God like this and this and this, will he be satisfied enough and then I can kind of go my way and do this and this? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Jesus is looking for your heart. My son, give me your heart. God is looking for us to follow him wholeheartedly. I'll give you another example. Like all of us sometimes think of ourselves like this, like in my school life, da-da-da-da-da, right? In my spiritual life, da-da-da-da-da, in my social life, da-da-da-da-da, right? As if we have like multiple lives. And like my school life is largely like, by my school life, I'm largely like trying to please my parents or I'm trying to please whatever program I'm trying to get into or I'm trying to please, so I'm like working hard for so-and-so. My social life, I'm largely trying to please my friends because like, you know, be nice to my friends. I want to have friends. I want to fit in. I wanna, my, my spiritual life, I'm like trying to please God. But the reality is, is that it's highly unlikely that I'm going to be able to devote myself to all of these things and please all of these people because they're different. And so we end up feeling conflicted and we end up feeling like there's, there's, there's things that I, I want to do and but I don't know if I should do them, and, right? And that's, and that's how, how we feel. If we still have, you know, if we still have investments in multiple pots, you know, in, in the invest, investment world, I don't know anything about money, but in the investment world, they tell me, you know, you want to have a diversified portfolio. So like, don't put all your money in one company and then it goes down the tubes, then you're, you know, you got nothing. So you put it, you know, in spiritual life, it's the opposite. You put all your eggs in one basket, okay? If I was to, t if I was to tell you, okay, that, if I was to tell you that there's like four banks out there, there's five major banks of Canada, whatever, right? And, um, you know, all of them except one is going to go completely bankrupt before 2019. What would you want to know? Which one's not going to go bankrupt, right? You want to take your money from wherever it is right now and put it in the one that's not going to sink, right? Now, what if I told you that we don't know what it is? What would that do? That would give you a lot of anxiety, right? But what if I told you which bank it is? What are you going to do? You're going to put all your eggs in that basket. Look, news flash, we're all gonna die. Man gonna die, you're gonna die, we're all gonna die, right? And we're all, we're all gonna end up in the full presence of God. And all of us are gonna be asking ourselves, what did I do with my life? Like, what did I do with my life? Somebody today, one of, one of the youth at our church sent me this beautiful quote by St. Ephraim the Syrian. I'll summarize it for you. Uh, St. Ephraim the Syrian is he's contemplating. He's saying, and on that day I will stand before him. And when I stand before him, the Lord will run to me with love and joy. And he will show me the wounds in his hands. And he'll say, I did this for you. And he'll show me the, the, the place of the spear in his side. And he'll say, I did this for you. And he'll show me the place of the crown of thorns. And he'll say, I did this for you. And all of the martyrs will respond back. And the ones that were dismembered and chopped up in pieces will show where their scars are, of where they were cut, and say, they'll say, I did this for you, Jesus. And, 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 and the ones that had their necks chopped off will show their neck and they'll say, Jesus, I did this for you. 
right? And the ones who were burned alive will show their scars and say, Jesus, I did this for you. And the ascetics will point to their stomachs because they fasted for days and weeks at a time and they'll say, Jesus, we, we, we did this for you. And the, 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 the monks and the nuns who did prostrations day and night will show the calluses on their hands and their knees and say, Jesus, I did this for you, not out of pride, out of love. My, my daughter, I have a three-year-old daughter. When she comes home from preschool, she runs through the door and she's holding something in the air like this, shaking it in the air and she shows it to me. And, she's, and she says to me, Daddy, I drew this for you. It's not out of pride. It's out of love, you know? And I'm going to stand and I'm going to look at Jesus and I'm going to look at the martyrs and I'm going to say, what did I do? What did I do? Right? It's terrifying. St. Ephraim the Syrian is saying about himself, he's saying, and I, the slothful and lazy servant, will stand before the Lord and say, but Lord, what did I do? Let us, each one, one of us ask, look, look, it's no mystery to anybody. Benjamin Franklin says, you know, two things are certain, death and taxes, right? It's coming, it's coming, right? Where are you, in, where, where are you investing? Where your treasure is, there your heart, there your heart will be also right jesus called many to be disciples he called one and he said i have to go bury my father he called another one and he said gave him this excuse and he gave another one and he gave him that excuse who who were those people that he called and uh, and they gave excuses was that was that uh, matthew or peter or james no newsflash we don't know their names why because they weren't recorded why because they were forgotten Jesus wanted them to be disciples. He wanted them to share in the glory and share in the vision. Who are they now? Nobody knows. I, I struggled. I promise you, when I was looking for biblical illustrations for this part, I struggled to find people whom Jesus called. I wanted to tell you like a story where somebody like Jesus called him, you know, and, and he was going to follow, and then he didn't, like the young rich ruler. Like I was trying to think of other stories, right? And I realized I can't think of any. Why? Because we don't know who they are. They amounted to nothing. That's what they amounted to. They invested in something which is going nowhere. And guess where they went? Nowhere. Right? They invested in glory. Matthew left the tax office, followed Jesus. The fishermen left their nets and followed Jesus. Do we talk, walk around talking about... That Peter of Capernaum was an excellent fisherman. He was an excellent fisherman, but that's not what he became known for. He became known for what? For what he invested in that went somewhere. Invest in something that's going somewhere because the rest of it is going down the tubes. The rest of it is going nowhere, right? And that's what we have to keep clearly before that's what we have to keep clearly before our eyes. Even if we look at secular examples, Michael Jordan is the categorically like perfect example of someone who lived a life of practicing and practicing and practicing to perfect something, right? LeBron James is known to be, have been quoted to say, for every basket I've scored in a game, I've scored at least 10 when no one was watching, right? Steve Jobs, his daughter recently published a book about how horrible of a father he was. And the only only reason he was able to grow apple to what it is is because his work was his life okay i'm not telling you to be like to be horrible in all your relationships with people and not to hold up your that end of the deal but the point is this steve jobs wouldn't have built apple to what it is if he didn't invest didn't invest all of himself in it now that's not a good example. It's a good example to prove the point, but it's not a good example for us to follow. It's a good example for us to, to know that if we follow Jesus, he can teach us how he can teach us how to give the entirety of ourselves to him. And I want to tell you something. I love meeting people who are 100% sold out for God and are successful because there's this, there's this deception out there that if you're going to be successful, if you're going to make it in this life, if you're going to, then you're just going to have to, you're going to, you're going to have to sell out on Jesus. And that's not the truth. I know tons of people that are CEOs that are C-level, like, executives in banks and in the co corporate world i know i know doctors who are making discoveries and changing the world who are 100 percent sold out for christ 
I'll tell you a story. Back in my previous life as, as a surgeon, we were getting, uh, we were hosting in Toronto the Canadian Association of Pediatric Surgery meeting. It's an it's a annual meeting for children surgeons, right? And so there's usually get a, like a keynote speaker who is like somebody world-renowned and they're usually somebody from somewhere else in the world. So there was this Argentinian guy uh, who's coming and uh, so it was my job to pick him up from the airport. So I picked him up from the airport and then he turned out to be a really nice guy. So I took him out for dinner. Uh, my wife and I took him and his wife out for dinner. This is before priesthood, obviously. And so we take him out for dinner and as we start talking to him, realize there's something different about this guy, right? And then when we sat down at dinner, I asked him, you know, I told him, usually I pray before I eat, but I can just pray quietly. He's like, oh, no, 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 please pray. So I prayed out loud and he was like so happy. And I, something was kind of not right, you know? And it turns out that this guy who is changing how pediatric surgery is done in all the developing world, okay, like he's, he's trying to find like what we do in like first world countries and how it can be applied in third world countries that don't have the same resources to save children's lives. Okay, he's like, he's, he's changing the face of this part of medicine in the world is a super devout Christian. And in his keynote speech, Every second slide, literally every second slide was a quote from Proverbs. Every second slide was a wise man once said. And it was a quote from Proverbs. This is in, this is in, an, in an international medical, you know, congress, convention. And he's the keynote speaker and there's thousands of people. I wasn't afraid. And in the end, he said... He said, I know this was not your typical talk, but I need to tell you something. I wouldn't be the person I am today. And he went off and gave his testimony. He said, I was, I was a really tough person to work with. My colleagues hated me. I was better than all of them and I proved it to them. And he sat and listed all of his sins and said, but I changed. But I didn't change because I published a paper. I didn't change because of this. I changed because I met a man that changes people. And his name is Jesus Christ. He didn't get fired. He didn't get, not, you know. There's this lie that if you're going to be successful, it doesn't work that way. You have to sell everything to follow Jesus. But when you sell everything to follow Jesus, Jesus gives you a hundredfold because he promised that he would in this life and the one to come. But you still have to sell everything to follow him. You can't sell 99%. And that leads us to the story of Hanani and Sapphira, right? They sold everything and they kept back apart doesn't work that way it doesn't work that way jesus gave us his life either we give our life for him or we don't it just doesn't work to to try to see what i can get away with i confess to you i have spent more than 20 years of my life seeing what i can get away with because i thought i was smart it was exhausting it was exhausting. I found rest the day I said, forget it. Jesus, you're my all in all. Jesus, you're everything. Jesus, it's all for you. My desires, my pleasures, my whatever, they can take a back seat and you do the driving. Jesus, you go ahead. The solution, the solution is to confess that I have desires and I have pleasures which are outside of Christ and then to follow him. And do you know what happens when that happens? I start to experience in my day-to-day -day life that Jesus was really worth it. And then I can say with St. Paul, I can say with St. Paul in Philippians 3, yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish 
in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him and have nothing and have nothing outside of him. See, St. Paul realized that he couldn't follow Jesus 90%. It doesn't work. When I, when I give God 90% and I keep 10, or I give God 98% and I keep 2, or whatever, what happens is the devil creeps into those 2 and he steals them from me. And he grows them to 3 and 4 and 7 and 10 and 20 and 30 and 40. And before long, I'm living for who again? I'm living for me. Right? It doesn't work. It just, it just absolutely doesn't work. But the opposite is that when I live for Christ, I realize, I start to look back at the things which tempted me, and I realize that they are rubbish. When I always, I promise you, for 35 years of my life, I read this verse. I don't think I started reading when I was zero years old, but let's just say, only in the last couple of years did I realize something. St. Paul is saying, look, after I, after I gave everything to Christ, I started to realize that I, I could have Christ or I could have the other stuff. And I lost all of this for Christ. But when I compare them, this looks like garbage. I always interpreted that this looks like garbage means that this has become worthless to me because of the surpassing value of Christ. That's not what he's saying. Garbage is not worthless. Like worthless is like its, it's value is zero dollars. Okay, garbage's value is not zero dollars. Garbage is not neutral. Garbage is harmful. Let me illustrate. You go, okay, I go on holiday for two weeks somewhere. And I say, you know, Akiro, will you watch my house for me? You say, sure, I'd love to have a place to stay downtown. I say, great, okay, Kiro. This is what you got to do. Garbage collection is on Wednesday mornings. Uh, you know, please, you know, go into the garage, take the bins. We keep the garage in the bins in Toronto. We have a lot of raccoons and stuff like that and all kinds of other critters, right? So we keep the bins in the garage. Please take them from the garage. You put them out and you bring them back at the end of the day. You say, sure, no problem, okay? So I'm away. Now let's not say two weeks. Let's say I'm away for two months. Akira forgets. He waters the plants, he walks the dog, he does all the other things, but he forgets to take the garbage out. I come home, he gives me the keys, I say, thank you very much, Kira, for watching the place. I do a tour of the house, and everything looks great, but something smells a little off. And we're looking around the house, what smells a little off, what smells a little off? We can't really see, we can't really tell, this and that, right? We open the door to the garage, and what? Nobody's taken the, garage, the garbage out for two months, right? Oof, right? It stinks! It stinks. The garbage in my life that I'm holding on to stinks. It has the aroma of, St. Paul tells us, death. We uh, did a retreat at a um, somewhere, which will remain unnamed, and uh, there was a funny smell, right? And uh, we looked everywhere for where this funny smell is coming from, right? Anyways, we found in the basement, we found a fridge and it wasn't plugged in. Like we opened the fridge, it was full of meat and it was not plugged in. It smelled of death. Like it just smelled horrible, right? See, that's garbage, but it's not worthless. It's, 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 it's disgusting. St. Paul is saying, when I saw Christ, I realized that the things that I lost were garbage. Like they were things that I actually now, I want to take them out to the curb and hope the, the garbage man or garbage people come and take them away. Like they're, they're gross, they're disgusting. Like if I'm going to handle them, I'm going to wear gloves and wash my hands like 700 times before I, before I, before I touch anything again. They're like, ugh. Right? They're not worthless. It's not neutral. Like, and, that's, and that's another lie. Like, I'm trying, to see, I'm trying to see what I can get away with. You know? Like, can I have that second slice of cake? Like, well, there's nothing wrong. I mean, like, God can't possibly be upset. I, God is going to sit and watch how many slices of cake each person has. Like, come on now. Grow up. No, Habib, it's not like that. 
It's not like that. It's, it's, am I still following my pleasures or am I finding, I'm looking, I'm seeking, I'm yearning that all my needs are found in Christ and all my wants are found in Christ. When we go and do mission trips, okay? We go to Africa, we do mission trips sometimes. On the last night, Sayyidina used to always do this. He would sit us down and we'd sit down. We'd go out for dinner we have a great time and then we sit down and we tell jokes one year one year we uh we did like Sayyidina has all these funny things that he says like these uh expressions that he says so one one year we said we're going to do a 10 minute skit impersonating him like in front of him you know what i mean um so uh so we so so we we uh we did the skit it ended up lasting two hours but <laughs> the whole time we were laughing and he was laughing it was a lot of fun and it's the end of the night we're laughing the whole night he says so son ask you a question you spent a month of your life we're all like university students you know like like you you know like we're not like uh you know we're not like monks and nuns you know we're just normal people he says i want to ask you a question you spent a month serving god all you did was do Bible studies and home visits and, right? Did you have a good time? Like, tell me the truth. Did you have a good time? And everybody's like, yeah, Sayyidina was amazing. It changed my life. It was the best month of my life. People were crying. People were so happy, right? Sayyidina says, I'll ask you a question. Did you ever imagine before coming that serving God and living your life exclusively and only for God and for nothing else could have been this much fun and the room went dead silent because everybody all of us imagined that serving god was going to be boring the reality is is it was so exciting when we were in tanzania this is like this is crazy tanzania is a predominantly muslim country it's about 75 percent muslim like and we didn't know what to do and Sayyidina was busy like directing the construction people and this and that so we would just sit around all day and we didn't know what to do and we were kind of bored but like we had fun telling jokes and whatever doing nothing we we're wasting our time so Sayyidina came and shouted at us and told us that what you came the holy to Africa to waste your time this and that go go and preach and we're like what does go preach mean he said go go in the market and preach talk to people ask them do you know Jesus if they say no tell them about Jesus if they say yes ask them what do you know about Jesus and get them to tell you about Jesus like do something, you know. And I, I, I couldn't say it in a, like uh, newsflash. This is a Muslim country, and they may not really like take very well to us, like you know, preaching openly in the market and so on. He's like, what are they gonna do to you? Like they're gonna capture you? They're gonna slap you around a bit, and then they're gonna throw you in prison, and then you'll know how Saint Paul felt. He was in prison for the sake of the gospel, and you'll feel like, oh, this is what it's like to be in prison and get beaten up a little bit, and so on. Then I'll pick I'll pay them some money, and they'll let you out, right? What's the worst that's gonna happen? They're gonna exile you from Tanzania. Were you ever planning to come back? You know, like do you have like a family and children here you didn't tell me about? Like so what, right? Like so what if they like you know extradite you back to Canada like you'll have a story to tell your life will be exciting you'll be able to say like like I have these scars and they're not from like my cat who scratched me you know they're like from something you know what I mean I got beaten up by a cat you know like there'll be something exciting you know what's what's wrong with you live an exciting life none of us got put in prison none of us got beaten up none of us even got scratched by a cat might have gotten scratched by Sayyidna but none of us got scratched by a cat Life with God is exciting. It's a hundredfold at minimum of what, of what my life is now. And then when I look back at my life, I think to myself, man, that was garbage. God, I'm so glad I'm not there anymore. Give you a couple of other examples. St. Anthony. St. Anthony answered the call. What would St. Anthony have been if he didn't answer the call? Some other rich guy in the second, in the third century. How many rich people were there in the third century? I don't know, a lot. How many of them do we know about? None. We know about St. Anthony, right? Because he answered the call and so much more could be said about that. I want to get into really simple, clear, practical application. Four points, we're going to cover them really quickly. The first one is to keep our eyes on Christ and on heaven and on our heavenly life to realize that this is a very a deeply spiritual life i'll tell you a story about something that happened here okay um, um we get um we don't realize we don't realize that we are in the middle 
of this very spiritual world, full of angels and demons and all this stuff, and we can't see them, right? Who here has seen the movie Usual Suspects? A bit maybe older before my before your time maybe right so there's this there's this like there's like this great line in the movie usual suspects there's this there's this character whom no one has seen no one has heard he's like the head of organized crime in the world and his name is kaiser sose right and then uh they, they they're trying to find somebody who can give a description of kaiser sose so they can identify him and uh and uh uh the actual person who is actually Kaiser Sose is sitting in the police office and in, in there and he's talking to them and he's messing with the investigator's brain and he says to them, he says to them, the greatest trick the devil ever played on the world is to get him belie to believe that they don't exist, that he doesn't exist. You can't, you know, like something that's been said in the political world, right, is that you can't fight for freedom if you don't realize that you're not free. So we think that our life is all about the here and now, and this is here, and this is there, and this is... And we, we think uh, angels and demons... You don't know how many people I meet that believe in angels but don't believe in demons. Help me figure that one out. Like, aren't they the same, just trying to do different things? Folks, it's very real. It's very, very real. It's, it's real beyond belief. I'll give you, I'll tell you a story that happened not too long ago. Um, you know, when we pray uh, the, the liturgy of the water, the Le'en, we pray on the water and we say, Lord, may this be for the healing of our bodies, our minds, our souls and our spirits, and the casting out of every evil spirit. And a variety of other prayers Abuna knows off by heart much better than me. When somebody comes to us, as like priests so on, and asks and tells us like, like I think my car is cursed or I think Misharifi um, or I think this right. So one guy came to the church and told me, uh, Father, blah 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 blah. This is my story. I think my mom is possessed. I said like, all of us at one point thought our parents were possessed, you know, <laughs> but. <laughs> In the end, it turned out I was the one that was possessed, not my parents. They were saints, and I was the one who was a little cuckoo, right? And uh, so he's telling me, he's telling me like some pretty funky stories, you know? And I don't know, like, I don't know, like, what to make of them. I don't know if it's, I don't know, actually, if maybe he's, maybe he's the one who's, you know, maybe in an alternate frame of reality. I'm not too sure. Honestly, I didn't know what to make of him. So, uh, in the end, he, uh, he, uh, uh, you know, we prayed together and I gave him a bottle of N water. I keep some at church all the time, right? So I gave him a bottle of N water. He took it home. Calls me up the next day and he tells me, you're never going to believe what happened. I told him what? He says to me, I, I went home and I, f I, I, I told my mom, I'm going to give you a bath. I'm going to put, put a bath for you. And uh, she, usually she doesn't even talk to him. They live together, but usually she, she doesn't. She doesn't even. She just ignores him, or says really mean things to him. And uh, so he, so he fills the bath for her, and he takes the N water and pours it all in, in the in the in the water. And then, so she's coming into the washroom for the bath, and she says to him, "I'm not going in there." And he says, "Why?" She go, he, he, She says, "There's fire in there." And he's been dealing with this like his whole life, right? So he says to her, he was going to tell her, no, there's no fire, this and that, but he knows that he can't have these conversations with her, right? Like she won't converse with him, like she'll just run away and go in her room, close her door and stuff like that. So, so he still tells her, look, I, I'm going I'm to tell you something. There is fire in here, but the fire is not going to hurt you. The fire is actually going to make you better. It's going to make you feel better. She said, really? He said, yeah, look, watch, I'm going to drink from the water and you'll see, it's not going to hurt me. So it's not going to hurt me, it's not going to hurt you. So he drank some of the water. And she got in. And he says to me, she came out, she was a completely different person. I didn't know what to make of this. I'll tell you the truth. I'm a little bit of a, a critical person. Like, a, 
maybe it's a fault of mine I'm a little bit skeptical like maybe it's my past life you know in science and so on like like I like to prove something once twice three times anyways so my wife happened to bump into him a little bit later like a little bit later that day my wife was always a little scared of this guy she always felt like he was a little spooky you know so he ran to her he, he's like hey Mary Mary you'll never guess what happened God saved my life and he told her the whole story all over again and she says he was smiling from ear to ear she says I've never seen this guy like this and she's telling me she's telling me retelling me the whole story right the guy was changed Yagama'a, it's a spiritual world we live in a spiritual world we live in a spiritual world and when when you feel okay i tell you something else my spiritual father said this to me like when i left the monastery okay uh, i met my spiritual father and then i started right before i started my service he told me abuna be careful when you take confessions yani be very careful i said be careful of what abuna he said to me look i'm going to tell you something the person who's coming for confession is rejecting the sin and rejecting the temptation and rejecting the demon evicting the demon out of their life like like the the the, the man with all of the spirits you know and then they all went in the pigs and the pigs ran down the hill and they all drowned and died right so like that story the, when the person by the power of christ evicts the demon from their life He's going to look for who is the next unsuspecting victim. Like what's the path of least resistance. And if you're sitting there snoring, daydreaming about whatever, and you're not praying, right? And he said, mark my words. You'll be sitting there daydreaming about whatever while the person's talking in their confessions and not praying. And all of a sudden, you'll get assaulted with thoughts of lust. You'll be like, and you'll be thinking to yourself like, dude, I'm happily married. Um, everything is fine and nothing's wrong. And why am I, where did all these thoughts randomly pop into my head from? Where did they come from? Like, look, nothing comes from nowhere. So where did it come from? I confess to you. Some days I'm alert and I'm sitting and I'm praying and I'm asking for God's protection upon this person and upon me and upon my family and upon my church and upon, you know. And some days, God forgive me, I'm not. I get a very rude awakening very quickly all of a sudden a spirit of greed all of a sudden a spirit of jealousy the person is saying and I get jealous and I get us all of a sudden a, how come Abuna is so good how come Abuna is so how come this person how come that person how yeah momenta, a minute ago you were fine and you weren't looking around and you weren't jealous of anybody how come now all of a sudden you're jealous you come out these are spirits there's a spirit his name is jealousy there's another one his name is gluttony there's another one his name is lust there's another one his name is laziness there's another one his name is they these are the demons and their goal is our destruction their goal is our utter destruction. So we have to keep our eyes on the kingdom. We have to keep our eyes on Christ. The second thing is always flee temptation. I don't know where this funny idea came up with to fight temptation. Habaybi, nobody who was successful in spiritual life ever fought temptation. We flee temptation. Jesus fled from Herod, right? Tell you a story of Saint Misael the Anchorite. Saint Misael the Anchorite. Saint, Saint Misael the Anchorite. He entered the monastery extremely young. By the time he was like in his mid-teens, he was extremely holy, extremely holy. One day, he got a knock at the door at night, and he found three men. They were just all in white. They had long white beards, and they told us God. They told him God is calling you to go and live out in the desert and become like a hermit and be an anchorite. We are anchorites, soweh, and, and we'll teach you the life of the anchorites. So he left and he walked with them. They walked all night through the desert and then they walked up a mountain and as dawn was just breaking, they started to laugh and cackle and howl and they started to laugh at him and make fun of him tell him you thought you were holy and you thought you were this and you thought you were that and they turned out to be demons and they left him and he was lost and he stayed lost in the desert for years repenting repenting of his pride and in that time he did indeed become an anchorite and he did in indeed become 
holy. Never, I, I wanted to tell you the story to tell you, never entertain conversation with the demons. Don't converse with the temptation. Don't, should I or shouldn't I? Every time I walk into the house, like right in front of the front door is a straight shot into my kitchen. At the end of my kitchen is the fridge. Every time I walk into the house, the fridge says, open me and eat something, right? John, just don't, don't talk back. Just, just keep walking. Just go upstairs. Just don't, 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 don't enter into the conversation. I'll tell you a personal story. I'll tell you a personal story. When I was about 14 is when I had my real awakening to God. Like I've always been going to church and this and that. But around when I was 14, uh, through a series of events that God kind of brought them all at the perfect time. Okay, I had a real awakening to God. And I experienced the power of God in a way I had never before. And I saw miracles. And I promise you, in this time of my life, I was afraid to pray and ask for things because I knew God would do them. Like I knew without a shadow of a doubt, whatever I ask God, He will do it. So I had better ask God for things that are good, not things that seem good to me, because if He does them and then they turn out to be bad, for, like, so I was sure, like I had faith like I've never had. This was like the, 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 my new spiritual rebirth and the peak of my spiritual life. At one point, I remember standing and praying, and realizing how beautiful, how powerful God is and how much favor He has given me. Like how much God like, looks to me with, with so much grace. And I turned for just a moment and I said to the devil, I told him, you know, you have no power compared to God. Now, 98% of that phrase was giving glory to God. But there was like a 2% of it that was pride. The devil found his way into my life there and I saw six months of hell, of darkness, I had never seen before. I went through an existential crisis where I didn't know about do we exist or do we not exist? Like is this, like in short, like is this life the dream and, and, and our dreams are reality? How do we know that this world is real? Not does, does God exist, do we exist? And this stuff is terrifying. The devil took me ba'a and he went to town with me. He went to town with me. And but for the prayers of extremely holy people, I probably would still be there today. Don't converse with the demons. Just don't talk to them. They are liars. They're liars and they're so slick. So they'll catch you and then and then you are somewhere else. Before you know it, within one second, you're on a completely you're in a completely different world. Just flee temptation. The solution, the battle with temptation is won by fleeing it in the first place, just like Jesus fled Herod. That was the second point. The third point is complete distrust of the self. St. Theophan the Recluse in Unseen Warfare says that the first step to spiritual warfare is complete distrust in ourselves. I can do nothing without God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But without me, Jesus says in John 59, you can do nothing. And that is, it's the most helpful thing for us. Constantly, I tell myself, Jeremiah 17, 9, above all things, the heart of man is very deceitful. What does that mean? That means that of all the people in this room, the most likely person to lie to me successfully is me. So I don't believe, I believe God. I believe in God. I love God. I hope in God. I don't believe in myself. This isn't low self-esteem. This is believing in God and knowing and knowing myself. I am a beloved child of God. I am in His hand. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But without Him, I can do nothing. Never, never, never were any of the miracles done by a person. But we don't believe that. We make celebrities out of, out of people who God works through them. It's the power of God that is working through, working through these people. You know, one of the most useful, I'll give you like a, like a spiritual hack, okay? Like a spiritual life hack. Know what your desires are. 
Like, pay attention, ask yourself. Like, if I go to this restaurant, what's my favorite thing on the menu? If I go to that restaurant, what's my favorite thing on the menu? If I this, if I that, in these, in these different areas, know yourself, know where your pleasures are because then you'll know where the traps are, right? Because the whole, we said, the whole beginning of spiritual life is to deny myself and follow Jesus. Last point is to rely on God. St. Peter tells us, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Think of Daniel, think of Gideon, think of David, think of Elisha, Elijah, Moses. They all relied on God. Think of your own past experiences in which you relied, you relied on God. There's a beautiful verse about Jeho Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20.12. He says, O oh God, will you not judge them, the, the, their enemies? For you have, we have no power in the, vast, in the face of this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This, okay, this is the prayer of my spiritual life. I have no power in the face of this army. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I'm going to finish with a, a quote by a missionary who went to Ecuador and died as a martyr there. And in his journals, you can see that he was so incredibly devoted to God. And in one of his journals, he wrote, Listen to this. Get this, okay? This is worth like writing down or committing to memory. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.